About four months ago, the Oklahoma football program was arguably in its most fraught position in nearly two decades. Lincoln Riley left everyone high and dry after a disappointing season, turning the state of the program on its head. At that time, it was difficult being able to envision what the future of everything would look like, much less the 2022 season. Now fast forward to this spring, and Brent Venables has been successful up to this point, molding the program to his vision. The amount of access that has been provided to the media this spring, and as an extension to the fan base, has been a breath of fresh air that I did not know I was craving. Practices are open, a wide variety of players and staff have been made available to reporters in person, and the head ball coach is much more willing to share detailed progress updates about his players. As a fan, I love this. It allows us to think about what this team will look like in the fall with some actual substance behind it. With that in mind, here's some brief thoughts I've had about the team as the spring has gone on, very generally, ultimately looking ahead to the 2022 season. I think it's likely that OU's offense is going to be quote-unquote good next year or this upcoming year. How good, I think, comes down to the development and emergence of a handful of players, namely the three players vying for two open tackle spots, Anton Harrison, Wanye Morris, and Savion Bird. Now, it's reasonable to expect some improvement from this unit year over year, but locking down those tackle spots from a pass-pro perspective I think is extremely important, especially in a Big 12 year where there are some really good defensive linemen that are returning after productive seasons, kind of more so than, than usually would be. The other two offensive guys I have my eyes on are Theo Weiss and Jalil Farouk. I think we know what we're going to get with Marvin Mims and Drake Stoops, but these guys are the wild cards. Can Weiss build upon the good that we saw in 2020 before missing all of last season? He's shown flashes of brilliance, but, you know, will also drop 10 TD passes in a season as well. And can Jalil Farouk emerge to be a downfield threat that defenses have to account for? The Big 12 has slowly transitioned away from the offensive fireworks that defined the league from between about 2007 to 2018. Can OU develop a trump card in the passing game that sets them ahead of the rest of the conference? I guess we'll find out. It's really important to do so. On the defensive side, I'm watching the development of Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence really, really closely at safety. Despite their tenures being controversial at times, Pat Fields and Delarian Turner-Yell played a ton of football for OU at two of the most important positions on the field. Now, Brent Venables asks a lot of his safeties in his system, and Bowman and Lawrence actually represent an athletic ceiling upgrade at that position year over year. How quickly can they figure it out? Will there be significant growing pains at that position that set the defense back and prevent it from reaching their ceiling? But, you know, if these two are able to provide some flash plays, what does that mean for the actual ceiling of the defense? I think it could mean a lot. These questions obviously are going to sort themselves out over the next five months, but dang, I'm really happy to be talking about the actual product on the field. It is indeed football time in Oklahoma. In spring. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Welcome to another edition of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson alongside Grant Benson, and OU Spring Football Practice has entered week number three. And we got a chance to meet with new corners coach Jay Valai yesterday on Monday, along with four players, Woody Washington, Ethan Downs, David Aguebu, and Jordan Kelly. We'll talk about the most notable things those guys talked about. 
Plus, after last week's episode came out, Kale Gundy had some super interesting comments about Jeff Levy and how he compares to Lincoln Riley. So we'll get into that. Plus, we heard from Dylan Gabriel for the first time as a Sooner last week. I describe him as a super chill guy, but an also super confident guy. Uh, No surprise that he will be the 2022 Heisman Trophy winner, as first reported last week by Grant on this podcast. Now, if you have not yet, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes and also a nice rating on Spotify as we try and build up our Spotify rating. And feel free to like the West of Evers Facebook page in order to stay up to date uh, as stay up to date as possible uh, with this show when you're not listening to the show. So as I bring Grant you know, back into the show after his opening take, I have some red meat here, some some Sooner fan base red meat to throw out that all of us can have a nice little chuckle on and and just uh, you know and chew on, if you will. Uh, check out this headline that I saw today from Two Four Seven Sports. It's from April the third, so a couple of days ago, this past Sunday. Here's what the headline says: USC football. Lincoln Riley details expectations for Caleb Williams, Miller Moss in QB battle. And we're off and running. All right. According to that headline, we've got another classic Lincoln-Riley quarterback competition. Real exciting stuff, Grant, there in Southern California. Well, I mean, I, I, who, who knows if he's, if he's going to lean into it as hard as, uh, as he did in, uh, in previous seasons with Oklahoma. I, I, I really feel like we do need to bring up the, the, the Kyler Murray, Austin Kendall thing every time we possibly can. Um, just one, so you can continue to be shamed for your takes at that time. Actually believing <laughs> yeah. that, and uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, don't, I was all in on Kyler Murray. Never once thought it was it was a chance that Austin Kendall could win that job. I don't know what you're talking about. I think that that was you that said that Austin Kendall was going to be the starter. I think it's still just yeah, that was you. It's it, it's still just the most brazen example of a coach just feeding the people in front of him just utter utter horse crap. And then for the most part, everyone just being like, okay, yeah, all right. Well, uh, everybody knew it was BS until I decided after uh, Big 12 Media Days one summer, to, I got really creative and, just, and convinced myself that maybe there was a chance that it was going to happen. Uh, it's definitely one of my low moments, if not the lowest moment, not just in this podcast, but in my entire life, obviously. That's uh, a little very uh, shameful, very shameful moment. It's a little, uh, it's probably a little harsh there. <laughs> Uh, maybe a little bit. I don't know if it needs to be that low of a. I, I take this very seriously, very, very seriously. I mean, I tell you, I mean, you're, sports, you, you weren't okay? the only one who was. Sports duped. are I mean, very serious. You weren't the only one. There's, there's people that even like a couple yeah. years afterwards still maintained that 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 Kindle made that thing a battle, and that's just. It's who? Yeah, uh, Kindle's mom and his dad. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe his actually, close personal geez, friends. They, I'm, I'm sure they knew. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they knew more than anyone who was who wasn't as close to the program. <laughs> Yeah, that that's one of them. What was what was the other? Uh, Mordecai, Mordecai versus Jalen Hurts. Uh, was it Jalen Hurts? Yeah, and and not really Spencer Rattler because he he wasn't uh, Rattler wasn't an early enrollee. I don't believe. I don't think he was in in on spring. I, I could be wrong about that, but I I want to say he didn't get there until the the fall anyways. So and obviously Jalen Hurts came in to play quarterback, which he did. But yeah, they. They tried to tell us that he wasn't, he wasn't officially the guy. There was actually a competition, so that was kind of one that was very absurd. And, uh, yeah, speaking of that, uh, okay, uh, we're kind of joking about it. We've got to be fair, though. Let's be fair to Lincoln Riley. If you read his quotes in the story, Riley is not directly talking about a, quote, QB battle. 
the story says that in a recent press conference that Riley was asked what he wants to see from quarterbacks Caleb Williams and Miller Moss as they, quote, battle it out. So he was asked that question. And so Riley said that he hopes that the guys can become the best players that they can be. And Riley added, quote, everybody knows there's going to be competition here at every spot. I think we make that very, very clear to our guys, end quote. So that's pretty much on brand of, of what he said all the time at Oklahoma. Uh, there's competition everywhere. So that's like indirectly saying that there's a quarterback competition, but he hasn't like been asked directly as far as I know. At least I couldn't find any stories on it. Nobody has asked him, at least at this point, hey, is Caleb Williams your starting quarterback, yes or no? I don't think he's been asked that question, so uh, we'll see. At some point, I'm sure he will get asked that question, and then at that point, we'll see where he goes with it because I don't know. I don't know either. Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know either. It's, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's what he always said at OU, too. And, hey, I, I'm, I'm right. I mean, I, I bought into it every single time. But with, with Lincoln Riley, you always have to – I mean, this is kind of what you realize, that when he's talking to the media, what he's telling you is what he wants the perception of the program to be. He's not actually telling you what it's like. So I always keep that in mind. If there's any hmm. – I'm sure there's not any USC fans listening, but uh, keep that in mind as he, as he talks over the course of his tenure. Before we get to Kale Gundy's comments on Jeff Levy and Lincoln Riley, I, the last thing on this, I, I will say, if Riley does not declare Caleb Williams the starting quarterback by the end of spring practice, which at some point he's going to be asked that, like, hey, are you going to name a starting quarterback? Surely he's going to be asked that, heck, maybe after the spring game's over. I don't know. Uh, if he does not declare Caleb Williams the starting quarterback, that's going to be an early signal to me that Lincoln Riley has not changed one bit. Look at Oklahoma. Jeff Lebby knows Dylan Gabriel. He brings Dylan Gabriel on board. Immediately, Dylan Gabriel is our quarterback. Jeff Lebby's like, yeah, he's our quarterback. He's our guy. Uh, Gabriel knows the offense. He knows Jeff Lebby. He's played a lot of football. It makes sense. Of course, he's the starting quarterback. Uh, throw in the fact that Oklahoma doesn't have anybody on the roster, aside from that's throwing a college pass. So, yeah, it's easy. Okay. But, like, Caleb Williams is, in a lot of the same ways, the same as Dylan Gabriel he transfers in because he knows Lincoln Riley uh, he knows the offense he ran it last season he's played uh, he hasn't played as much football as Dylan Gabriel obviously but Caleb Williams has played a lot more football than any other quarterback on USC's roster which is essentially why Dylan Gabriel among other things was such an easy decision to say yeah we're not going to beat around the bush he's the starting quarterback Caleb Williams went to USC to start at quarterback everybody knows that so if Lincoln Riley gets through the spring and refuses to officially name a starter, which means that USC is going to go into the, uh, the fall, into August, with the charade that the quarterback position is still up for grabs. One, to us, it's going to be hilarious. And again, it's going to be so on brand for Lincoln Riley. And I'm curious how the LA media will cover it if it gets to that point. But again, I'm speculating. We don't know if that's what's going to happen. I still think it's I not think going to be. By the end of spring. I still think it won't be covered super heavily because nobody cares. It's not. There's not a there's right. not a lot of thirst for that coverage in L.A. It just isn't. Yeah, no, I'm sure it'll be treated with a lot of the, the same things that a lot of the same ways that you treated it when Riley was telling us that Mordecai and Hertz and and Kendall and you just roll your eyes. Yeah, and say, if, OK, if, come on. I mean, they're going to yeah. if, if, if U.S. you know, yeah, I mean, they're L.A. is not going to perk up and pay attention to USC until they win 10, 11, 12 games every year. It's just not going to happen. All right, let's switch over to why you all listening to this podcast, which is Oklahoma football. And uh, I mentioned Kale Gundy. 
So it was last Wednesday, so a day after, or I guess the day our podcast came out, or, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I'll read. I didn't pull the sound because it's a, it's a pain, man, to pull some sound for you guys sometimes. I didn't have as much time, so I apologize, but I'll just kind of read you some quotes from Kale Gundy. Maybe you all have heard this already, but just to refresh your memories, if you already have, or if you have not, I'll say it now. Here's what Kale Gundy said about Jeff Levy, and then he also mixed in Lincoln Riley. Kale said, uh, Levy is as impressive as an offensive coordinator uh, he's ever, that he's been around. He's as well-rounded of an offensive mind as I've ever been around. Since Levy played offensive line, truly great minds learn offensive line, the running and the passing game. He's very impressive as an offensive coordinator. There's not anything in offense that Lebby does not know alignment, assignment, technique-wise. As far as Lincoln Riley goes, he said Riley is a great offensive mind, very creative, maybe the most creative mind he's been around. But over time, Riley learned the running game. Kale said that Riley's history was passing the ball around and getting the ball into space. Kale said that Lincoln would tell you that he became a better coach at Oklahoma because Oklahoma would run the football more. As far as Jeff Levy goes, Levy already is polished in those areas, and it's very impressive, end quote. So uh, those were some of the more you know, notable kind of like I perked up when I was at the press conference last week and Kale said that, uh, or Coach Gundy, however you want to classify him, um, like saying very positive things about Jeff Levy. And he was asked kind of the differences in this offense and what he's been around with Lincoln Riley. And, and the fact that he said, yeah, of course, Lincoln Riley is a very creative guy, but how you know, Lincoln has had to kind of evolve to the running game, whereas now coming in, Grant, Jeff Levy, at least to Kale Gundy, is very well-rounded and is on top of everything. And a, a big part of that, I think, is him crediting the fact that Levy played offensive line and maybe he knows a lot more about that position group at this stage in his career than Lincoln Riley knew when he first got in, or he maybe even does now. Pretty interesting stuff, huh? Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people, you know, with Lebby's Baylor connections, I think a lot of people just assume that he's he's kind of that that same old Texas Tech air raids, right? But it's not. I mean, the the Art Briles Baylor system was 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 definitely more of like a sixty forty run pass split. I mean, they they were predicated on on inside zone to their really good kind of bowling ball fast running backs. And then throwing it over top to guys like Katie Cannon and, um, gosh, I'm forgetting everyone's name. Who, who are some famous Baylor receivers? Uh, Denzel Mims, but that's more recent. That is more Mims. I don't think he was right, right around. Yeah, more Mims. More recent. You're right. Yeah, Katie Cannon. Who are other? Who's the guy who was a first who round the pick guy to, that the went to the Browns who washed out? I always the Browns this. guy. Corey Coleman. Browns. Corey Coleman. Riders. There we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm trying to buy time as I'm trying to look up more of my notes from Kale Gundy's press conference. Um, yeah, so okay, so here's here's like the trap that we fall into. Okay, we follow Oklahoma football. We've been doing a podcast about Oklahoma for five plus years now. We're going into year six of as far as seasons go. Uh, and Lincoln Riley left the program, and it was it still is very weird. It's uh, Oklahoma's done an excellent job so far counteracting that hiring Brent Venables, all of the hires he's made, bringing in Jeff Levy. Everything is so positive and great. And then we hear Kale Gundy talk about how great Jeff Levy is. Like it's, it's talking season right now, so everything we hear is so positive. And so it's easy for us to think, geez, I mean, yeah, Lincoln Riley's a great offensive mind, but Jeff Levy could be better. Heck, he could be – right now he might be a better offensive coordinator than Lincoln Riley is. And 
He might be. I mean, there's no way to know that until time goes on and games happen. But at the same time, though, if you want to be fair and kind of realistic, all right, like Lincoln Riley is a great coach. He's a great offensive mind. That's something. Losing that is something. So as much as we want to get excited about, man, Kel Gundy, uh, he says he's as excited as he's ever been about Oklahoma football program. And I believe him. I do. I don't think he's just blowing smoke. Uh, and he says these great things about Jeff Lebby. Also says these great things about Lincoln Riley. But, hey, I mean, Lebby, I'm just kind of reading between the lines. In a way, Lebby could be maybe even further along than Lincoln Riley. And Lebby kind of is on the upward swing. If you look back at the last few years at Ole Miss and UCF, his offenses have been really good. It all sounds so great. It goes back to this theme that we've hit on the last couple of months on this podcast, Grant. Things are going too well. It makes me kind of nervous. And so when I hear Kale Gunny say this stuff, I believe him. But also, I want to take a step back and think, just remind everybody, listen, this could be awesome. It could be great, but there's a chance it's not going to be, or it's not going to be as good as we think. And the offense, as much as we complained about it the last year with Lincoln Riley and even to some extent in 2020, now that Jalen Hurts and Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray weren't, weren't there, the offense could could be even below what we saw the last two years. There's a chance. I mean, we don't know much about Jeff Lebby yet, so I just want to make sure that people aren't you know, assuming and, and expecting greatness in 2022 from Oklahoma's offense week in and week out because we don't know that. Yeah, like I said, you know, I'm I'm feel reasonably that I can expect the offense to be to be good, whatever whatever that means, whatever anyone wants to. But like I I think it's going to be functional and I think they're going to be able to score points at times. I like like I said in the opening take, I think there's a lot of there there's a handful of things that need to shake out for the offense to be truly really really good. And um you know, I, I already went over that. I mean, obviously they they want to be a lot better on the edge on the offensive line. Uh, more consistent there. I didn't mention Andrew Rame. Him, him, you know, him developing is a big deal as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to see the, the the one area, like I said, with the receivers. I think, I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there for OU to have kind of an advantage over the rest of the conference. And I know a lot of Texas fans would p- probably pipe in and say, "Oh, you know, we got Quinn Ewers coming in with Xavier Worthy and um, and Jordan Whittington and the guy from UTEP." You know, maybe yeah, they they might be really good. Um, it, you know, probably still not going to be as, as great as they think they're going to be just as, as if, you know, if history is any indication, but, um, that's why I really, really you know, like to, you know, bring up Weiss and, and Jalil Farouk, because if those are, if, if one of those guys can emerge as someone who can take the top off of a defense, whether that be getting behind the defense or, or maybe someone like Farouk, maybe a guy who is able to make something happen with the ball in his hands and space, if that can happen and you, um, we already we, we already know Theo Weiss is capable of some things. It's just about, it's, it's going to be about consistency for him. If a guy like Farouk can emerge, then you got you know two two and a half three guys who are going to be dynamic playmakers down the field in the passing game. And as I've said numerous times, just over the history of this podcast, I think that is the that's the trump card is being able to throw the ball down the field. Uh, because a lot of the times, you know, the more that you can throw the ball down the field, the further and further the pool of teams, it, it shrinks more with the teams that can handle that. And so I and personally, I, there's not a team in the Big 12 that can handle OU if they are if, if they're throwing the ball down the field effectively to three really good receivers, not not a single team that can handle that. And I think with their quarterback coming in, Dylan Gabriel, a guy who has proven that he can throw the ball down the field in his career, albeit not always consistently. Um I, I, I just think OU is kind of uniquely positioned to 
to sort of stake out that spot in the conference at least. So, but I mean, there's questions. A lot of stuff has to happen. I mean, they need to stay healthy too. So, I mean, it's, I think it's like one of those things, right, where Jeff Lebby might be great. He may be a great offensive coordinator. We may not see it immediately. We may, we just, we may not. Um, 2015, the first year with Lincoln Riley, man, they didn't get rolling on offense until after the Texas game, really. And that, I mean, that was, and yeah. that was the second week of October. And that's with Baker Mayfield as the quarterback. Granted, it was his you know, first year starting at OU, but still, I mean, he nice player. <laughs> Turned out to be a pretty good yeah, player. That's, he's a pretty nice um, player. Pretty nice player. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Gabriel, you mentioned his ability to throw the ball down the field. I mean, look at his career stats. I mean, his uh, yards per attempt average for his career is almost nine, 8.8. That's really good. So, I mean, he pushes the ball down the field. I was just quick aside. I was looking back at Drew Brees' college stats yesterday because I was reminiscing about a, a time when I – I can't remember if you were there for this or not, but I was real little and I went to a Purdue-Notre Dame game. Oh, I was I there. I figured out that it was – I was there. Were you at that game too? Remember that game where they – the only thing I remember about it is that they rushed the field. Yeah, the the, that's the only the thing I remember. That's the first, uh, first college football game I ever went to. So I think that was 1997. I went and looked it up. And I don't uh, – Drew Brees, I don't believe, played in that game. He was a uh, – that was his first year at Purdue, and I looked at his career stats, and he only attempted something like, I don't know, 20 passes that year, so, like, so he wasn't the starting quarterback. Anyways, uh, his career stats, man, it's, cr- it's so crazy how the game has changed, man. And I guess technically Drew Brees may not be the best example because in his NFL career, he wasn't really known as a guy that pushed the ball down the field that much. But I, I want to say his like, career yards per attempt at Purdue was, is like seven, maybe below seven. I mean, it's... He was a dinker and dunker, and we all remember Drew Brees. I shouldn't say we all remember him. Uh, career seven, seven even, <laughs> uh, which is not very good. I mean, that's that's not that's not good. I mean, that's that's like even worse than kind of like where Spencer Rattler was a lot of last year. And how much did we complain about Rattler not pushing the ball down the field? So, anyways, just a quick aside how how the game has changed so much since. Geez, I mean, that's been twenty five years or more. Let's see. Next thing. Oh, you mentioned wide receivers. Another guy that we're, you know, we're all wanting to see become something is Jaden Gibson. And Kale Gundy said that he's someone that should be in high school still. Uh, and he just, you know, the typical thing he said, yeah, you know, guys are talented, but sometimes it takes spring ball or fall camp for them to kind of figure themselves out. That's kind of where he is. Uh, but Kale Gundy says that he's really talented. Um, yeah, and, with, um, with, with Jaden Gibson, yeah. I, you know, you can, there's been plenty of, pictures of him taking at practice and videos and stuff like that he's he's obvious i mean he, he kind of towers over everybody but he's skinny he's really skinny right now um and so i mean he's he, he's a guy who wins a get him in the weight room for an offseason I, I don't think we're going to see much of him in 2022 at all um unless there's injuries of some sort just because we sent you know Weiss, mims and stoops are already established we're going to see a ton of those three guys we already know that um, and then Farouk, you know, has been kind of, Woody Washington mentioned Farouk along with, along with Weiss and Mims when he was talking earlier as kind of like the trio of receivers along with Drake Stoops. Um, and we've heard good things about Trevon West. I've heard good, good things about Trevon West so far this spring too. And um, I, I just, I, I think it's really unlikely we see, we see any of those freshmen make an impact this year. Yeah. I always struggle with this because I think it's so different now where I, I will never say it's unlikely. Uh, granted, you can look back at the f- the three five star receivers that didn't really do much, and they were more highly touted than any of the guys Oklahoma has on their roster right now. But 
you know, with Jeff Levy, you know, maybe he maybe he finds a niche or a role for him. Granted, I guess that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that you would steal a lot of them. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned Trayvon West, also throwing Cody Jackson. We don't know much about him. I mean, he played a little bit last year, assuming he'll be back from whatever injury he had. So he's another player with some college experience that you would expect would have a little bit more of a chance to break the lineup. So that's six players right there, I think. Uh, uh, Wee Mims, Stoops, Farouk, uh, West, and Cody Jackson. And throw Brian Darby, too. Oh, yeah, Darby's in yeah, Darby's, there. You know, Darby's been solid whenever he's been in there for the most part. So, oh, yeah, yeah, Darby had a touchdown, you know, touchdown catch in Bedlam. And, um, yeah, it's just one of those things, man. The, the size of Gibson, man, at 6'5", if, if he can run, and he, I mean, that's enticing if, if he's a player that, Agreed. Can make play. Agreed, it's but like, also, yeah. you know, if I mean, if, if you're looking, if, you know, looking at the size angle, there's, you know, there's another freshman who's the same height who is, but weighs more. Caden Helms, I think, is probably a better chance of Caden Helms to get on the field this year than Jaden Gibson. Yeah, and then where does Nick Anderson factor in? Another freshman who, you know, we'll we'll see. So yeah, I mean, there's a, it's all again, it's talking season. That's all we have right now in our minds. All of these guys are going to pan out and be great. We know that's not how it works. So, uh, but it is different now. But we have you know a new offensive mind behind the scenes. And the reason, like, so, I, I guess, yeah, the, the reason why I, I highlight those receivers, like that that trio of receivers, is is because I I really like Ohio State's, Alabama's of the world. I mean, they're they're proven to you. You need three big time guys. Yeah, you do. And so, um, I think I, I already think Mims is a big time guy in college. Um, I think Weiss, we've seen flashes of it, and then you know. Can Farouk can you know can he emerge? I, I think that's going to be the big, that's going to be the big question mark. And if OU does want to be a national player, Jillo Farouk is is going to have to emerge. He's got to be. Yeah, and I posted a screenshot of a video that the OU football Twitter account put out today of Jillo Farouk making a one-handed touchdown catch in practice from Dylan Gabriel. Good throw. So Good throw. Uh, man, that's uh. That's to me. That's telling me that you know not only does Oklahoma have the the Heisman winner on their team, they also have the the uh, the is it the the but the Fred Belitnikoff award the winner. Belitnikoff. I wanted to say Bednarik so bad. Like that's not right. Bednarik, I believe, is just it's just linemen, linemen in general, offensive or defense. So it's 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 great what they're doing right now, Norman. I mean, they're just they're producing so many major award winners according to the West, the West of Evers podcast. How about Dylan Gabriel? He talked for the first time as a Sooner last week. And he talked about Jeff Levy. And he was asked about how the offense that he ran at UCF uh, under Jeff Levy, how is that so far at Oklahoma? I mean, there's been, I guess, two years have passed, two, three years maybe technically, because it was 2019 when Levy was calling the plays for, uh, for Gabriel at UCF. And then 2020 and 2021, Lebby was at Ole Miss. So here's what Dylan Gabriel said uh, to that answer. He said he, think, he said he thinks the coolest thing about Jeff Lebby is that he has evolved and he continues to evolve. In college football, you have to do that. If you want to be relevant, you have to evolve. If you want to score points, you have to evolve. As Lebby continues to evolve from UCF to now, it's night and day difference. I think it will continue to grow. It's all based on personnel, end quote. So I hear that and I think, okay, like there's no way that the the offense is really night and day difference. I mean, that that means he would just scrap everything and do something else. But clearly Dylan Gabriel, thinking back to twenty nineteen when he was the quarterback there, there's been enough things that 
he's learned already in the short amount of time he's been on campus at Oklahoma from Jeff Levy in his offense that to him it's it's the same offense but there's enough things that are different to where it signaled to Gabriel that man this guy has, has changed a lot and evolved a lot and hearing his words it sounds like the offense is is better right I mean like it, he, he wasn't saying that <laughs> the offense has changed and it sucks like the, the way he spoke about it it's like it's evolved uh, he's evolved the offense is night and day different and he's excited about it so uh, again more talk more talk but it's all sounding good grant good to hear from dylan gabriel too yeah man dylan gabriel just like a really chill guy you know just really chill really really cool like kind of like really out there you know like like out there and like a tubular sort of way you know <laughs> That is uh, Bull Durham. Yeah, it's Bull Durham. Yeah. Okay, it's Ebby Calvin. Like, at the eh, beginning of at beginning of Bull Durham, right when right when Crash comes into the clubhouse. What a great movie! I digress. Okay, yeah, nothing else from there. Just wanted to point out that Dylan Gabriel talked, and he likes Jeff Levy. Shocking. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I can, I can go more there. I, it's um, I mean, Dylan Gabriel. I mean, I, it's, I think it's pretty great that the that the 2022 Heisman Trophy winner has already given us interviews. I mean, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> Don't laugh. Don't laugh. It's happening. <laughs> Don't laugh. Uh, I mean, oh, it's it's been said. It's been said a lot on a lot of other podcasts. People have, have written about it. Uh, we'll just acknowledge it here. It, every time someone says anything about Dylan Gabriel, it's super positive. The dude came on campus and instantly did everything he was supposed to do to get this this team kind of rallied around him. Uh, he says that he thinks his relationship right now with the wide receiver group is is further along than he thought it would be by this point. And he credited that just because when he got on campus, he knew that he had to speed up everything. And it was on purpose because he knew that the quarterbacks and the wide receivers, that's very important to have a good rapport. And he knew that there wasn't much time between <laughs> really the time he showed up to campus and you know the first game of the year, granted spring ball was going to be in between, but you know, he knew that he's a veteran player, and so he's happy with you know how much they interacted during the winter period, winter workouts, uh, and he said he was proud that they're so far along with their relationship. So I guess I don't know what he thought it would have been, but for whatever you know, whatever his metric is, he thinks that that they're further along now than they they, they would have been otherwise. So that's good, and he I mean everybody likes the guy. It just it seems like everybody is so cool with him. They were happy that he came in took charge and he's been respectful they've been respectful to him and really you can't find any sort of fault or problems with anything that's happened so far with Oklahoma football which means obviously they have the Heisman Trophy winner uh, they have the Blitnikoff winner they're gonna have the national championship trophy as well uh, Brent Venables will be coach of the year I mean everything that we expect is gonna happen it's it's pretty much already set in stone I can't wait I mean it's, it's gonna be guys all that's left is the coronation I'm just I'm excited for the season just to watch it watch it play out I mean and I'll Where's the, where's the national championship this year? <laughs> I don't even know. I was about to say. See see all you guys in Albuquerque, wherever it is. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, is this kind of like what, it's, what it was back in the day, being an, a UConn women's basketball fan, where you just kind of know what's going to happen going into the season? Hey, we're going to win pretty much every single game and then win the national championship. I guess we'll just, I guess we'll watch the games, but, I mean, it's just kind of formality at this point, right? Is this kind of, maybe that, it's, I don't know if I like that, but, you know, I'll, We'll have a podcast after the season's over with to kind of go back and, and explain how we felt throughout the entire season, feeling like we were old time UConn women's basketball fans. That'd be fun. Here's the thing, though. We're not. Let's say, you know, let, let's say, I mean, let, 
we're very obviously joking, but let's say, let's say, you know, the season go and like it's mid-November and OU is just a juggernaut and they're just running through the Big 12 and Dylan Gabriel's having a great season. How do we, do we pull this from, you know, do we pull this, this, this audio right now and then do we play it straight? Like, yeah, you guys, we were, we were talking about this all the way back in April. <laughs> well, um, depends it depends because if we decide to pull that audio if it gets to that point it depends on how superstitious are you because are we essentially going to try to pat ourselves on the back because we want to play this fun audio at the expense of potentially uh jinxing the entire rest of the season and they won't win a game after we play that audio see that's 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 kind of power we have you know i'm we'll have to make that decision when we get there i used to be really superstitious i'm now more just like a little stitious but um a little stitch. Just a little. So stupid. Just a little. But I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see. It's, it's going to be a fun season. But actually, though, um, just takes me back to like, right? Like we're we're kind of poking fun at at this whole deal because there's there's really nothing that we can say about Dylan Gabriel. It's just it's just kind of what else is there to say? It's like they're kind of just they're they're telling us how it is, and who are we to question to question that? Like yeah, I mean, there's we we can easily yeah. go and watch film, and we can we can pick apart Dylan Gabriel's game, um, but he's sitting here tell, saying that the offense is quite a bit different, which makes sense because Jeff Lebby spent two years working with Lane Kiffin, and I'm sure Lane Kiffin had some input into that offense, um, so I'm sure he picked up some other things, and so there's not a lot to go off right now, which is why that spring game in a in a few weeks is just is utterly fascinating. I mean, we just we. Um, it's it's going to be the very first time we see any of this stuff in the wild actually real, and you know it's it, it's going to be hard to come to any sort of conclusions about what we see or or what anybody says until then, and that's why I like yeah I mean I'm uh, very obviously in my mind the the spring it's the most anticipated spring game spring game since we've been doing this podcast and since I've been an OU fan and, I, and that's you know the the one with Jalen Hurts was pretty anticipated too, but. Uh, this is this is a totally different animal. I think everyone wants to see like just kind of what the vibe is going to be like, and you know, mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel and and the entire team is 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 like that, you know, by extension as well. Just because we just have no idea. All we've seen so far is these videos from practice, and we can see the high energy. We can see it, and man, it looks it looks a lot better. It makes it feels a lot better for sure too. But that's all we got to go off right now, and that 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 sucks. But also, it's like you said, man, it's talking season. That's what we're doing right now. One of the last things Gabriel said is that it's all based on personnel, this offense. And I sure hope that's, that's true because how often are, are we, have we complained in the past about how, you know, it, as much as I love X's and O's and I, I love you know, a, a great schemed up play, there is, a, you know, there is part of football where you got to just get the ball to your best guys and sometimes you force feed it to them sometimes it doesn't have to be creative you just get them the football and I wish Lincoln Riley would have done that a lot more in certain situations and if it's all based on personnel to me that kind of tells me that okay Jeff Le- and you look at the the stats of Ole Miss and UCF teams I mean Jeff Levy we've gone over before in this podcast like they're good receivers get a lot of touches a lot of catches and so that tells me that maybe he's more of a guy that Okay, if I have a player that's really good, that's a playmaker, I want to make sure he gets the ball a lot more uh, than other guys. And it sounds like a really simple thing, but again, we've been watching Oklahoma the last, well, forever. But I mean, with Lincoln Riley as the the head coach, the last you know handful of years, it's yes, of course they get the ball to their good players, but it seems like sometimes 
Like how many times? Like I mean, look at last year with Marvin Mims, for example. I mean, how many times? Like, hey, where where's Marvin Mims? Heck, for how long? Uh, every single year, it seemed like there was a question of like, why isn't Kennedy Brooks getting more carries? You know, that was so. It's that was a big thing with Lincoln Riley's offense. Yeah, and I mean that that's a well worn story. We we've talked about that a lot, just with how he, you know, as like you said, as as fun as X's and O's are, and as and as fun as it is tricking the other team and doing something that's confusing and, and putting them on skates football at the end of the day still is about just running the same thing over and over again if it's working and that's like that that's like georgia just won a national championship doing that they had one hiccup they lost alabama but otherwise they just kind of ran the same stuff over and over again because the other team couldn't stop it x's and o's are great but it's better to have better players and like that's, yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's kind of what happened in 2017 and 2018 with Lincoln Riley is that those offenses just had insanely good players, insanely good players, and kind of everything that he called worked, everything. And I mean, maybe that's sort of in his head, maybe that just reinforced like over and over again, man, I, I can call whatever I want and it's going to work. And maybe that just sort of in his mind kind of turned into a, or evolved into a principle. Like, hey, I, I want to, you know, I want to be multiple. I want to be, I, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be easy to predict. So I'm going to run all this, all this different stuff. And hey, I mean, it, it, it's worked. It's worked in the past. But I, I thought we saw, I mean, we saw in the second half of 2019 and especially throughout 2020 and mostly throughout 2021, that wasn't the case. There was just stuff that he would throw out there that just was not working. And um, that became it just like, from second half of 2019 to 2020 to all of 2021, it just periodically became much and like much more common that they would get bogged down and that stuff wouldn't work and that it seemed like they didn't have any answers for, for, for what was going wrong. And I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really easy after he's left to talk us, you know, for us to talk ourselves into, yeah, I was going in the wrong direction. It was going in the wrong direction. But uh, gosh, man, that kind of, that's kind of what makes this fun. We have no idea. We don't really know. There's yeah. so many factors that go into uh, it. And before I forget, you mentioned the spring game being one of the most anticipated spring games, you know, at least in this podcast era. And I tend to agree with that. Uh, how important would it be or how cool would it be, you know, if I think you might have said something like, oh, you know, we'll get a sense of the way this team is during that spring game. How important is it for these guys to come out and have, you know, to be buzzing around have high energy because spring games are traditionally kind of like eh, shrugger shoulders but you know obviously a, a big part of that falls on the fans as well because they want to pack the, the quote pack the palace so if you know the fans come out and it's relatively packed I mean that'll obviously give more energy to the players but uh, you know I'm planning on being there for it I think you're probably planning on being there as well for it I think it's like we're all anticipating it man if they come out and they there's a ton of energy and the players want to be there and it looks like it's just it's it just looks different i think that's going to go even you know even further into you know our thoughts of man everything is so positive and good because like if they come out and they look flat and like that's going to be a huge red flag honestly like ugh, like everything we've heard is so good why are they flat why, why are they not caring feel uh, i'm not sure if we're going to be able to, to get, yeah. be really surprised if they come out flat just judging by the energy that we've seen and just like how um, it seems like energy is built into the structure and the routine of practice on a day-to-day basis. And I just, especially if they, now I, I, I don't know if they're going to sell out the place. I don't know if the entire place is going to be full. I think it's pretty safe to assume that it's going to be, not. it's going to be more full than it has been in the past just because they're putting a lot of effort into it. 
And I, I think I think just there's there's that general curiosity from the fan base. They just they they kind of want to see the Brent Venables product for the first time. And also they're honoring Baker too. I mean that's that's on that's the main reason I want to go because I, I want to go for Baker. But um and obviously t- I mean I, I want to see the team also. But <laughs> like I emotionally I'm I'm, yeah. I'm going so I can be there for Baker. So like there's um. I don't know. I, I think there, there's a lot of stuff kind of working in their favor there. You go back and you listen to uh, when when Thad Turnipseed was on with uh, Gabe and Teddy. He said that that very first spring game when Saban was there, when they sold the place out and it was totally full, he said at that moment he knew that they were going to be able to achieve everything that they that they set out to achieve at Alabama, just because that because that was the symbolic the symbolic thing that just kind of forced it home into their heads yeah the fan base is they're they're dedicated they're into this thing and so yeah it obviously be great to see something similar like that happen at the spring game here i it's i think it's possible people just kind of just need to commit to it and just do it it's gonna be a fun day might as well man yeah that's i tend to think it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be full uh just because it's it's never been full <laughs> but man if it is, or you know, if it's if it's heck, if it's ninety percent full, I mean, that would be incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. Because, uh, yeah, you mentioned turnip seed. That was a really interesting part of that podcast where uh, they joke around about how like they didn't have water or something too. Like they ran out of water. I, I, maybe maybe I got that wrong, but yeah, like he. I've never heard anybody talk that much about fans buying in. And how much that actually matters and, and actually helps the program. I mean, sure, it's it's given lip service a lot of the time, but I mean, he really, I mean, he believes it. I mean, the fans are just as important as everybody else. Uh, and and again, whether he actually believes it or not, I don't know. But I don't know why I would doubt him. I mean, it seems like it's worked at the last two places he's been. He's right. The fans are extremely important. I'll say it over and over again. I've said it on this podcast. It's your program too, and so show up and support it. One quick note, uh, you asked where the national title game is next year? <laughs> oh, boy. This could be perfect. <laughs> it's in L.A. <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I think it's, isn't it in Minneapolis here in the next, like, handful of years? It goes Los Angeles, Houston, and then TBD. So maybe not. So maybe I'm thinking, uh, maybe they were up for bit of it, like, a, a while back ago, and they just didn't get it. Nobody cares about college football in Minneapolis. They they probably shouldn't play it there, but that'd be that'd be cool for me. <laughs> also, that time of year, you know, early January, Minneapolis. I mean, I guess they did the Super Bowl already as well when it was winter time. Yeah, it's but, been it's been a while since yeah. you've been da- since since you've lived there. You can they have they actually like the tunnel system in in Minneapolis is really good. You you don't have to step outside in the winter at all. Yeah, all right. Well, that's smart on them. Good infrastructure. Uh, can you still hear me, by the way? Oh, I can hear you. Okay, good. I'm getting a phone call. This doesn't happen very often. I'm getting a phone call, and I, you know, we're doing this over Zoom. Um, all right. Probably so Venables. Next Venables giving him a call, just the daily phone call, just checking in. <laughs> you, you can let it go to voicemail. Yeah. We're doing something more important. No, no. He, he understands. Like, I'm surprised he's calling. He knows that we're doing a podcast right now. I don't know why he'd call, but uh, it must be pretty important. Um, all right, so... Next thing I want to hit on, more offensive talk, Marvin Mims. And, you know, he's a player we've talked a little bit about already in the wide receiver group. And I know you were, you were a bit concerned that Marvin Mims would be out the door. I was. And, yep. you know, he... I'll own it. He, uh, we, we talked to him, and it was, it was a weird thing where we all, us in the media, kind of realized afterwards, 
and you know maybe maybe not even afterwards maybe right when it happened because you know Marvin came up and we got to talk to Marvin Mims in person it was the first time we've talked to Marvin Mims in person since he's been at Oklahoma this is his third year going into his third year and um he was he seemed genuinely happy to talk to us and granted everybody everybody seems happy to talk to us it's it's a positive time in the program you know, there's no there's no bad vibes, but some uh, of the guys who have been there for a while, it's, it's possible they were just like, man, this is really nice not having to do this in front of a freaking Zoom camera. Because yeah. like, I mean, b- being around that's people, kinda, that's the vibe I got. Like breaking news here, being around people, everyone is good for for you, for human beings. It's really good for your mental state. <laughs> yeah, and that's I think you're right. Like, it, it, you walked up, and most of the guys walk up, and they they kind of smile, and they're like, they're like, oh, this is kind of different. You know, this is new. You know, and yeah, it's good. It's it's good. So, you know, Marvin said that um, the way everything played out with Riley leaving and then Venables coming in and Jeff Levy, everything with the coaching change, he says, has turned out to be, quote, really good. And it was, quote, a blessing. And uh, on his decision to stay at Oklahoma, he was asked, you know, would you ever waffle? You know, did you ever think about going somewhere else? And he said, quote, it was up in the air, but I always wanted to stay. Never a point where I was leaving and going somewhere. There wasn't one moment where he decided that he was going to stay for sure. You know, people left the program, but at the end of the day, it was my decision, end quote. So, I mean, what did we, uh, was it Marvin after the, either before the bowl game or after the bowl game where we were kind of trying to parse his words and what he meant about, like, and that that statement was also kind of similar of, like, it, it really, like, he said he, he said he wanted to stay. Like, he never really wanted to go, but his options were open and why wouldn't they be? I mean, okay. Like what if they would have brought in an offensive coordinator that didn't have a very good track record or something, or, you know, I don't know. I mean, there is always a chance that maybe the hire wasn't going to be somebody that he wasn't into. And he thought he'd have a better chance of playing more elsewhere. I mean, he was going to play at Oklahoma, maybe getting more targets, more catches and here and there. So it's great that it worked out. It's a good thing. He's here. I, I asked Marvin what it was like, you know, his first meeting with Jeff Levy, how'd that go? Because in, in my mind, and again, this is just me, I, I don't have any evidence of this, a little bit of evidence of this, but in my mind, I feel like there had to have been a, a time when, when Marvin Mims, either his parents or his friends, like showed him all the numbers that Levy has helped produce for wide receivers. Uh, and he thought, okay, like this guy's going to get me the ball. And so I asked him, you know, what was that first you know, meeting like? And he said, all right, well, you know, it was the day that Levy, you know, came out that Levy was hired or was going to be the coach. It was like a Thursday, he said. And then he said the next day on a Friday, he said, uh, no, he said that Thursday he went in because he heard he was going to be there. And his, like all the offices were closed. Like the, nobody was in the coach's office. So the next day he was in class and he said he got a phone call from Lebby in class. And he was, and Marvin was like, ah, do I, do I leave class to answer this? Like, I don't know. Like, Cause uh, man, like college student, he's a college student. You know, he's in class, you know, uh, he said he, he didn't answer it, but he, uh, he said, Lebby, I can't remember if he texted him or left him a voicemail and said, hey, this is Coach Lebby. Come come see me after you know, you're know done with class. Like, we'll talk. And so he went and, and visited him, and he said it was a great talk. He, he I talked about, you know, kind of his role in the offense. And in my mind, this is the moment, if it hadn't happened before, where he was probably like, listen, kid, uh, look at my here, – here's the number. I'm going to get you – I'm going to get you 80, at least 80 catches this year or at least 70 catches. You know, like I, this had to have happened. Again, maybe it didn't, but it had to have. Uh, and so everything seemed like it went well. 
And uh, he also said that, yeah, you know, Levy wanted to meet his parents, too. He's like, he's like going through the recruiting process all over again because you're meeting a new guy. And, and so, again, this is one of those things where, yeah, maybe we would have gotten the same answer if we were on Zoom, but maybe not. Like, maybe he wouldn't have opened up so much. Maybe he wouldn't have given us so many details. And so that was kind of cool to hear the story about Marvin talking to Levy. And then I know I'm kind of getting long-winded here, but I'll just one more thing that was kind of funny. I think I've, I might have tweeted this out. Uh, he was asked, like, you know, meeting Dylan Gabriel. And he said the Dylan Gabriel setup was – where like the coaches were like setting them up with each other and it was like he like i guess dylan gabriel called him was like hey let's go out to dinner or something like that and, and marvin was like yeah it's it was almost like it was like a first date you know like what do i do here you know and he said they went out and they hung out and it went well and so and now like the rapport's good so uh all smiles all laughs and uh Man, it's going to be tough uh, for Jalil Farouk because uh, it looks the Marvin Mims is really pushing at the Blitnikoff Award too at this point. It would seem so. Boy, I don't, I don't sleep on one. Drake Stoops. Also, he's got, he's got. I'm not. He's got the pedigree. I wouldn't man. dare. He's got the pedigree. I wouldn't dare. Um, no, I mean it's great. And, and as I said about Marvin Mims, the the very first time I ever saw him give an interview as as a member of the football program, Marvin Mims makes me insecure as a human being because he is a very very impressive person. So, um, and also, I mean, there's a, you know, in, in the wake of all of this stuff, now that things have calmed down, we're in spring, you know, there's been, there's been speculation. People suggested maybe that if the previous staff would have still been here, Marvin Mims would not have been. And so maybe that was actually the, the, the big disconnect is that, and would that surprise anyone? He just, Marvin Mims was not used consistently or, or probably how he should have been these last two seasons. It's been kind of weird how he's been used. Yeah, I think uh, maybe the Sooner Scoop guys, somebody referenced that maybe on their last podcast or one of their last podcasts. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I maybe you're right. Yeah, like it, I, I know like you were kind of worried that there was going to be a mass exodus and Mims was one of the guys that was going to leave too. But heck, may, maybe Riley leaving kept Mims in Oklahoma. I mean, it's all speculation. There's been, man, there's, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's been speculation that a lot of guys would have left had, you know, had, had the previous coaching staff remained. So, which... Is you know of course now you're 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 obviously you're you're kind of trying to fit pieces together there with like different gaps, but man, like if with how with how the 2021 season went, would it surprise anyone if Riley stayed and then after that there was just an exodus of people, with just like how weird the season was and how just like how how just how off it so obviously was at all times. No, no, I mean heck, I mean a guy like Eric Gray. I could I could have seen seen him leaving again, even though I guess would he have he probably would have had to sit out a year though I think right I, you'll get, maybe you get one transfer I think he would have had yeah, to sit so. yeah but even then it sucks that like he was put in that like a guy like Eric Gray is a good example I mean like clearly Kennedy Brooks sort of took that job and was and was the lead guy you know from the Texas game on but the coaching staff did not do Eric Gray any favors whatsoever they they had no plan no vision for what to do with him whatsoever and like it seemed like that was the case for virtually everyone on the roster it was just weird it was wild all right so that's all i have on the offense Uh, i do want to shift over to the defense if there's anything else on the offense we can get back to it later on but i want to stick on script here and we heard from jay valai yesterday spoke to the media on monday and what stood out to me about Jay Valai, aside from the fact that it looks like he could, he could be the starting safety for Oklahoma today, or heck, even the starting safety on like an NFL team, uh, him, and, him and DeMarco Murray could still be playing high-level competitive football if they so chose. 
maybe, maybe not. But uh, aside from that, his extreme focus on attention to detail uh, at the cornerback position, it, it really stood out to me, and it was nice to hear. And so, again, I didn't pull the sound, but I'll read you the, the quote. I, I asked him, I, I said, hey, man, you, or hey, coach, whatever, because he, he mentions FBI a lot, football intelligence on the field, that he shortens it to FBI. And he, he's mentioned that his first media availability, he mentioned it a few times yesterday, and just football intelligence. And that stands out to me because how many times on this podcast have we complained about it Oklahoma's defensive players looking like they're not very smart like they don't know what to do and so I asked him uh, about football intelligence like what goes into that and how difficult is it to you know knowing that these players are young and you know you're yourself you played the game you're a lot more experienced than them you know all this stuff you know what goes into you know teaching these guys and making sure that they actually get smarter playing football and Jay Valai said that quote you know understanding your job responsibility you got to have a mindset of being a constant learner. That's what separates you. And then he referenced the times he coached or he was playing. I can't remember if he coached or played with, with the Kansas City Chiefs. He mentioned Eric Berry. He said every day Eric Berry was asking questions. He referenced last year when he was the corners coach at Alabama. He mentioned Jalen Armour Davis, who I believe was he a, a true freshman last year? Or he was, he was one of their top, top corners last year. I can't remember if he was a true freshman. Not sure. but, okay, yeah, but he was one of their top corners last year. He mentioned Jalen Armour Davis. Just every day asking Jay Valai questions, uh, asking, learning. And, and he said he saw the growth. And he said, again, Jay Valai continuing, he says, to me, the best way is to show and lead by example. This is him speaking. Show them. Show the guys that you know, aren't even elite athletes that, hey, they can play. And there are certain guys that aren't elite athletes that have played. You know why? Because they have high football intelligence. And he says that just being around guys who have that want to, that's tremendous And that having a high football intelligence, that's what takes you from good to great to elite. Guys that have that mindset and they want to grow and they want to work and they want to learn and be smarter. And I, I know it's, it's probably not that surprising to hear that, but just the fact that he's, he's mentioned football intelligence as much as he has, I feel like he's mentioned it, I don't remember... There wasn't, at least there wasn't a saying by Alex Grinch or Roy Manning like that, like FBI, maybe in different kind of versions of it they talked about it. But I, I don't recall those guys talking about being like a super smart football no, player. No, man, they always, the they wanted to simplify and they wanted people to just, to not think and just react and play. Which, I mean, I, I you know, like I said, I still think, you know, from where they were at the end of the Mike Stoops tenure, it, that wasn't necessarily an inappropriate course of action. And, you know, it, like we said, Alex Grinch was doing a great job until last season. Um, so, yeah, like I, this this football intelligence stuff, the defensive coaches are talking about, I love this. I love this just because one of the hallmarks of Lincoln Riley's tenure at Oklahoma is that his teams are just were awful situationally. And it just seems like they never were aware situationally of what was a big moment and what wasn't. It seems like they were kind of, they. it seems like the same plays, especially on the defensive side of the ball, would burn them constantly it's like they would very rarely learn where they, they they would very rarely learn where they where they had holes and they would never really they would never get better it was always just the same over and over again the same the same issues plaguing you uh, I don't even want to like go into all the issues with penalties and stuff like that but it's just like that all goes into football intelligence and like I I love that do you have any like when you're watching college football there are so many boneheaded plays that are made 
on you know in every single game it doesn't matter what conference you're watching what level what like what you're watching these are young kids who make a lot of stupid mistakes but like man OU the program that they are the pedigree that they have the fact that they're one of those teams that consistently made the same mistakes over and over and over again and still were were, were able to be successful like despite all of that stuff man if they just iron out some of that stuff what how how much better could they have been and like that's like that's one of those things where you know I, I've never been a I've never been a great athlete like I've I've always had to get an extra edge when I'm playing sports I've always had to be intelligent about the sport I'm playing I, to 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 leverage my you know leverage my best ability to to make an impact on the game and I you're right I I just I don't know if that was ever an emphasis with the last guys I I just I really I the product on the field certainly doesn't suggest it yeah and uh, you know. I've been critical of Oklahoma defensive players. You've been critical of them on this podcast for years. And from my perspective, one of my specific criticisms is that it seems, and to your point, it seems like you know these guys just aren't very football savvy. Like they're just not very smart in game. Like they don't have football intelligence, as Jay Valai calls it, FBI. And I, you know, I want to provide some examples because I, you know, I, I don't like whenever you, know, you you throw things out there that you know maybe we've hit on things in the past and we're forgetting about it now. But I, you know, I do like saying that then providing examples. So I went back and looked just to refresh my memory and, you know, an easy target is Buki. I mean, I mean, for years he would commit just boneheaded penalties, uh, the most notable one. And I got to go on on this because as I was going back in my notes, it just, it fired me up again. The most notable one got him kicked out of that peach bowl for targeting. And just, just to refresh your memory, just to refresh your memory on what happened on that play. OU had forced Joe Burrow out of the pocket. It was third and 10. It was third and long. It was third and 10. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was rolling along with Burrow, kind of in the flats, acting as a safety valve. And Buki was there. Buki was there to take away that throw. And he was kind of there defending both. You know, he was, if he was going to throw it, I was going to take away the pass or, like, you know, tackle him before the first down. And then if Burrow was going to pull down and run it, he had enough time to get over and either knock him out of bounds or tackle him short of the first down marker. But, <laughs> you know, Buki was successful at one thing. He took away that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire pass. That's for sure. He took it away because he ran up and just blindsided him. High, by the way. And uh, when that happened, Joe Burrow was like, oh, cool. Thanks. I appreciate you doing that because now there's nobody in front of me. So I'll just easily scramble and pick up the first down here and move the chains. And I remember saying this at the time, and I still believe it. It was the single dumbest play i've ever seen made by a player on a football field like you given the situation buki could have prevented burrow from getting the first down if he took away clyde edwards hilaire and then when burrow made the decision to run come off of the running back and make the tackle set up a fourth down play but instead he was selfish he was stupid he wanted to make a big hit you know he wanted to send a message because it's football and big hits and all that yeah love big hits and guess what it did it cost him, it cost his team, and it got him kicked out of the game. It was one of the dumbest things uh, that I've ever seen. On Wasn't a it 21 to 7 when that happened, too? 21 to 7. Could have gotten off the field, get the ball back, a chance to make it a one possession game. 20, good, good memory. Yeah. It's a good thing that game never happened. It's, I don't know what you're talking about, actually. What? Peach Bowl? Right. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's a Bulls about. I guess I was going to say bowls with fruit, but there's the orange bowl. What else is there? Peach bowl. Uh, 
Like I know, I know LSU the won the title that year. I don't, I don't recall who they played in the semifinal though. So I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I think that was one of those rare years where they gave him a bye to the title game. You know, you don't see that. Oh, that's lot. right. You know, they they couldn't they they couldn't decide on the fourth place team. So they're just like, yeah, let's just let's give him a bye. Totally forgot. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell that I went back and read my notes from that time and refresh my memory? So yeah, I I kind of wanted to go off on that, but. Like, aside from Brendan Radley-Hiles, who, you know, later he owned up to it. He said he made a mistake, blah, 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 whatever. Wish him, wish him the best. He's gone now. And I don't, I don't really know what kind of season he had at Washington. The, the team had a bad year, I think he was and, just, and Jimmy Lake I think he fired, was just Buki. So. He played a lot. I used a starter for him. I know that. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, aside from him, some other examples that I either remembered or saw my notes. I think back to, think back to early 2020. Trey Brown committing a very stupid holding penalty on third and long against Iowa State, completely away from the football. On third and long, it extended the drive, gave him a free first down, and then I think it was one play later when uh, Xavier Hutchinson caught that slant pass and went 65 yards for a touchdown. Uh, So it went from Oklahoma forcing a punt to Iowa State scoring a touchdown. That was a game they lost, obviously. Uh, That was an example of really, really poor football intelligence there. You want to comment on that? Uh, can I can I comment? On, I mean, I agree with you. Can I comment on another thing that happened in that exact same game? That's not necessarily the defense. Oh, there's plenty. But it's just remember when they uh, they took the lead in that game in the fourth quarter, and then they the very next play they give up like an 80 yard kick return, like literally like the one thing that you just cannot have yep. happen in that situation. And of course, it happens. Yeah, I think it was like a they, they returned it to like the 30 or 40 or something like that. But it, I mean, it was a huge momentum. I mean, Oklahoma had grabbed all the momentum of the game. And I mean, the defense came up a couple of plays earlier, forced yeah, strip a turnover. Sack. Isaiah Thomas. Strip sack. Yeah. They, Oklahoma capitalizes off of it, gets a touchdown, takes the lead, a uh, touchdown lead. And then Iowa State just takes all the momentum right back. A big kickoff return because special teams, you know, it's super important to the Lincoln Riley staff and that, you know, special teams is big time. Yeah, no, good call. That's, I mean, it's not defensive, but that's just kind of a general one. And I do have some general ones as well. Uh, so, th- you know, the Trey Brown one, the special teams one. Uh, another example, and, you know, this is more so not even on the players as much as maybe it's on the coaching staff, the previous coaching staff. Just think about, and we complained about this a lot last year, the amounts of times, and to some extent, in that Iowa State game from 2020, motion. How much times motion would totally confuse the secondary? And it will result in massive busts in coverage and big plays and touchdowns. Like, and yeah, that Iowa State game from 2020, that very same game, when it was very clear, all Iowa State had to do in certain situations was motion a player to a certain side of the formation and set up a, a trip set, I believe. And that would trigger Oklahoma to pull back 10 yards off of the, the inside slot receiver, which a lot of the times was Charlie Kohler. And it would result in easy pitch and catch first downs, easy yardage. And we talked about Alex Grinch, his scheme allowing lots of easy yardage. That was a perfect example of it there. Uh, think back to the Texas game last year. Early on in that game when Texas was scoring a lot of points, how motion and how Sark was just motioning guys and getting Oklahoma secondary players so confused, even though they, they shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been. It wasn't that complicated. And was giving up tons of points in that game. Big bus. Um Think back to the Kansas game from last year. My favorite topic, my favorite subject. K State. K State. They got screwed. They motion was. <laughs> they were having a lot of trouble with motion oh, yeah. against K State. 
Oh my gosh! Yeah, K State. That's actually. Uh, but, I don't even. I don't even want to talk about this. This is actually really upsetting. That was. I mean, that's just. I. <laughs> that's one of those things where it's just like it's on tape over and over and over again, and they did not adjust. They could not figure it out. I'm sorry. Like I. Obviously, I've never played high level Division One college football. Dealing with motion cannot be that difficult. It cannot be. There is no way that it is. No, it's it's not. And 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 so I and I did you know mention a moment ago. You know, a lot of this is on the the former coaching staff. Maybe not the players, but I guess my point is, if you're football intelligent, you're somewhat smart. You have to see this stuff. Even if your coaches aren't pointing it out, you have to at some point see this and kind of take it take it into your own hands, man. And like, if you're seeing. Like the Kansas game, that split zone that Kansas kept running over and over and over again, and nobody adjusted to it, nobody changed it. Like somebody with their linebackers, corners, like safeties, you see what they're doing. Crash down and make a play. Take a chance. Like you see it happening. Like, all right, you know what? Maybe my job's not this, but I know what they're doing. I'm a smart player. I'm going to take this away and blow this play up. And if this is the one time they don't do it, all right, well, that's on me. But I'm pretty sure because I'm a smart player, and they're doing this over and over and over again. And guess what? Previous teams have done similar things to us over and over and over again without our coaches adjusting. This is annoying me as a smart football player. I want to do something about it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I know a lot of times, like, players are afraid to go against their coaches. And generally, you shouldn't go against your coaches. But there were so many times where, as a player, if you just kind of know something about college football, not even college football, just football in general, and you're seeing the same things over and over and over again, you have to do something about it, whether or not it's called or not. You have it's preparation, to. man. It's preparation. You have to have that drilled into your head before it starts so that when it happens in the game, it's just second nature. It's just like, okay, they're in that formation. That's what's being run here. It's just like, it's college offense. Even, even in college, man, like their offenses are not going to change a ton from game to game. They're not. They can't. They wouldn't be able to be successful if they just changed a bunch of stuff from week to week. They yeah. have to practice too. They got to practice this stuff. It's rehearsal over and over again. So like, it's just, it's, you're right. I mean, that stuff is frustrating. If you're a defensive player, you should live in the film room in college. You should not be going into any game, not having a good idea of exactly how the offense wants to attack you. And maybe, maybe they did do that with the last staff and maybe it just didn't sink in. They just didn't do a good job of, of translating it to, to Saturdays. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that is going to be one of the things that I'm that, you know, that I'm eagle eyed about this upcoming fall. How like how often do these defensive guys, especially the defensive backs, know how familiar with the other team's offense do they seem? Yeah. And I mean, just another thing as well, and maybe this isn't necessarily football intelligence, but it, to some extent it is. They need to get better at their actions when the ball is in the air, making plays on the ball. These be more interceptions. Like I, I think back to. Granted, this is maybe not the best example because Billy Bowman was thrown into the fire. But I mean, Billy Bowman throwing, you know, playing corner against TCU and just jump balls, and he just looks lost. Like he doesn't know where to turn his head. Uh, catches are being made over top of him, and it's just, it's just the, the man on man, the man coverage, the ball skills just are need to be better. And I think they were pretty good in 2020 for the most part. Uh, but now in hindsight, maybe a lot of it was because Trey Nor was a good player. Trey Brown, even though he, he committed a lot of penalties, he still was pretty sticky in coverage, mainly because he was committing a lot of penalties and a good amount of time he didn't he got away with it. 
<laughs> uh, but I guess he's translated to be a decent NFL player, at least when he wasn't injured this past year. But uh, maybe fact check me on that. I'm not sure. Didn't watch a lot of Seahawks football. But uh, so that and then the last bit of evidence or the last example I want to use just because it's a it's a um, it's a callback and it's something that we've referenced. I haven't referenced it in a while, but man, we talked about it quite a bit years ago. Uh, and this isn't necessarily the secondary. This is just uh, it's on the defense. But man, think of all the times talking about football intelligence and just being prepared about the other team's offense and where you need to go and what you need to anticipate and expect. Just think back to watching Kenneth Murray trying to play zone coverage in passing situations at Oklahoma. Uh, it was a running joke on this podcast for years. Uh, I haven't watched a lot of Kenneth Murray so far in the NFL with the Chargers. I sure hope he's improved that part of his game. But man, oh man, that guy, his biggest weakness was pass coverage. He looked lost 75% of the time. That's the best, that's the best thing about that, that Venables video that you tweeted out last week was that, is that he, was, he was actively teaching those guys there how to drop into coverage and how to cover his own. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, what else do we have here? That's my, uh, that's my thoughts on the defense. Uh, anything else on the defensive side garnered your attention since the last show? Not really. I, I the only the only thing is I want to know is I, I as far as I'm as far as I know nobody's asked this. Where's C.J. Colden? Um, I, I do th- I I think I you know presumably he's coming in the summer, but I've just I've never seen I haven't seen any confirmation of that. Nobody's mentioned it. I don't know. He he is the he is a transfer defensive back from Wyoming, correct? Yep. Yeah. He uh he he committed in in late January and and he's 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 an all Mountain West guy from Wyoming. Um, I, he's a corner and I want him on the team. So, I, I mean, I hope he's still in the, in the plans, but I, I don't, I don't know where he is. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. Um, I, uh, you say he's not on the roster. I haven't even looked at the he's roster. He's not on the roster. Okay. And so, yeah, like, yeah I mean, it's, no, it's, I it's possible he's, he's just going to come in in the summer, but as a, as a, I, I was under the impression he was a grad transfer. So, um, figured he would he would come in for the spring but i don't know i mean because that's uh it's it's hard like it, it kind of seems like right they have they have a decent amount of bodies in the secondary and um i don't know like it, it's tough like i would really love to see you know uh, you know how cj colden is, is sort of shaken out with all of that because he's a he's a really experienced guy and um i know it's 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 interesting because when you got looks like they want bowman and lawrence to be the starting safeties they're they're, they're they, they want them to win that job you got trey morrison the guy the you know uber uh experienced guy from north carolina who is, is gonna play a factor and then dj and, and woody are have played a lot of football for ou and so i mean that's that's five guys right there and of course you need more than five dbs but um oh yeah the, the colton was the guy i was really excited about and so i just i would really like to know where he is another player that had a little bit of uh i guess publicity that's not the right word uh just he was talked about a little bit this week. Was Kanai Walker, another young corner that's transferred, a uh, big physical player. That's what Jay Valai said. He's he's big and physical. He's working his tail off. He's got a lot of good upside. He looks he 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 uh, looks and, big. Uh, he he looks big. And Justin Harrington's back. Oh, Justin, yeah, he's back. Um, and uh, Woody Washington said about Kanai Walker that he thinks his feet, his feet, and I believe. I can't remember if he says feet and man coverage. It was like looks press man or something like that. Really I think good. it was. Impressed man, yeah, is like I think he said it was phenomenal, and said you know especially for a young guy. So Woody uh, Washington with some praise there. 
Um, but yeah, no, uh, Justin Harrington is back. Unfortunately, I was not able to go to the practice. They opened up practice on Friday morning. It was a last second deal. And uh, apparently Justin Harrington was there at practice. And, you know, I, unfortunately, I was not awake when the email came through. So that's just, uh, you know, I, I guess you literally you snooze, you lose. Um, but uh, good that he's back. And uh, who knows how he's going to be utilized. We know he's going to be in the safety room right now. And uh, I mean, we had such high expectations for him, got injured and then had high expectations high expectations again for him going into last season and then just didn't do anything like just and then transferred and uh, i believe i believe we found out he was going to transfer it was like the day of the k-state game we were in manhattan and i think we found out or maybe it was the day before uh, somebody you know one of the the sooner beat writers had a report like oh justin harrington's entering the transfer portal it's like okay well that's a thing and yeah, I don't have. Let's see what I don't else. have any ex, like expectations for Justin Harrington at this point in time. It's just uh, what an odd thing. I mean, you, he's the guy. I mean, the coaching staff alluded to the fact. that, I mean, they before he got hurt the first time around, they kind of expected him to play a pretty big role on the defense, and then it just never. I know. Never materialized. I saw him last spring. He I mean, he looked he looked big. He looked like he was moving well. I I don't know. I mean, it's I think it's funny though is that the whole bit was that they you know he really wanted to be a corner. And, you know, maybe that that caused some drama within the, you know, within the program and stuff, too. And then I, like, told you it's kind of funny. It's just like he's coming back and then Venables and his staff are like, nah, you're a safety. And it sounds like that's that's fine now. He's he's playing safety. Wait. Wait, did he want to be a corner? Yeah, I think that was the whole like, business. He, he wanted to did? play corner. Oh. Oh, I guess I, I either I forgot that or never heard that. All right, the la- one of the last kind of things as we kind of wrap up here, uh, not quite a you know, two-hour, 25-minute dark night extravaganza like last week. I, I did put a prompt on the West of Everest Facebook page because uh, I-, I posted the Jaleel Farouk screenshot from the OU Football Twitter account. And I asked uh, you all out there, and I-, I just did this before the show started, so it's okay that unfortunately nobody's responded to it, which is fine. Uh, I, you know, I, I asked, hey, what do you all think? Or you know, how do you think the main wide receiver core right now at Oklahoma of Theo Weiss, Marvin Mims, Drake Stoops and Jaleel Farouk? How does that compare this spring to other wide receiver groups that we've seen at Oklahoma in past spring practices? And then I'm kind of just throwing this on to you kind of last second. And, you know, I was doing some last second research before the show. I couldn't go too far back because I just didn't want to take so much time. But I was looking back. Okay, like, like, obviously, we we. You know, we have one year of Theo Weiss evidence of like, yeah, he can be a good player, but also inconsistent. You mentioned in the opening take, yeah, we, yep, he dropped a lot of touchdowns. Uh, we know Marvin Mims is a good player that's been underutilized. We like Drake Stoops filling his role. And from what we saw from Jaleel Farouk in one game, he looks like an explosive type player and you want him to do well. But like, that's kind of it. And then you, you throw in, you know, the Cody Jackson, what's he going to be? You know, Jaden Gibson, true freshman. Nick Anderson, true freshman, a lot of unknown there. So obviously, like there's some unknown, but there are some some guys you get excited about in 2022. How does that compare to other springs where we're like, oh man, how's the how's the wide receiver room going to be? And so, off the top of your head, I'm going to put you on the spot. How does this group here, like, I mean, honestly, it's it's got a, it doesn't really compare because like there's been so much. So much. I'm not even asking you a question. I'm just kind of answering it myself. There's been so many expectations for the receivers in spring ball. I feel like ever since Riley has been at Oklahoma, at least since he's been the head coach, right? I mean, think back to even uh, 
I think C.D. Lamb was a spring guy. I think he came in. Nah, mid, no, no, he didn't. I think I think C.D. Lamb came in. Mid, so he wasn't there in 2017, I don't believe. So let's let's think back to 2018. So 2018 spring, you had C.D. Lamb in the room. You had Marquise Brown. Boom, right there. I mean, you're 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 golden. And on top of that, who else was in the room? Uh, I mean, Lee Morris was kind of an unknown commodity at that point. He had you know he had the, like one or you know one or two big plays the year before. Um. You know, Jeff Bidette was gone. No, I think actually, I mean, the history of OU receivers is, you know, I'm trying to think here and, you know, going into 2015, Sterling Shepard was, was, was kind of the, was the established guy. The year after that, it was, you know, the guy who had, who had the most catches coming back was D.D. Westbrook, but it's not like he set the world on fire in 2015 and him, like I said, Westbrook sort of exploding in the, you know, the last seven or eight games of 26 is still a big surprise to me. I didn't see that coming from a mile away. Um, and so that was always interesting. 2017, they didn't return a lot. of. I mean, Mark Andrews was the only guy who had really caught passes that they were returning. Um, and remember going into that season, we we all assumed Jeff Bidette was going to be the, the go-to guy. And, you know, he, he kind of was. Right. They, they threw him the ball quite a bit in the first three or four games of the season, but he got hurt. He got hurt. And then by that time, it was obvious that CD was, was a thing. And then by that Kansas State game is when Marquise Brown finally sort of introduced himself to the world. And, of course, we know about 18 with, with CD and, Mar- and, and Hollywood. 2019, there, there was CD. And then, I mean, Charleston Rambo was really good the first half of the season and then sort of, you know, fell off the face of the earth. And then it goes back to 2020. I think a lot of people were assuming, right, that was going to be, you know, that was going to be when Bridges and Hazelwood and Weiss established themselves. Well, Hazelwood gets tears his ACL in the offseason. Bridges is I can't remember what happened to Bridges in 2020. Was he suspended? He was suspended, right? Yeah, he was suspended. Yeah, that um, was the whole drug thing. And then yeah, and then I think and then it was and then Marvin Mims uh, you know in the very first game of the season sort of introduces himself as the go-to guy in the passing game and that was kind of a surprise. I don't think anyone suspected it to be Marvin Mims. And then going into 2021, everyone expected just it, Mims, Mims has already established himself. We know what we got there. Hazelwood is finally back and healthy. Mike Woods is there, and it is like really easy to talk yourself into that. And then who was the go-to guy last year? I don't know. I don't really know. There really wasn't like I mean, Mims like led the team in receiving, but he still only had like thirty some odd catches. And I mean, Hazelwood led the team in catches. I think it was Hazelwood and uh, Mario Williams led the team in catches. And so, like, uh, I, see, I, that, that's a long-winded way of saying that a lot of times for OU, and of course, I mean, you know, history doesn't mean this; is, it's always going to turn out this way. It seems like a lot of the times the go-to guy is kind of a surprise. It, it's kind of a surprise. Like, for instance, you know, I mean, okay. going back even before that, um, 2014, Sterling Shepard was the go-to guy. I don't know if everybody expected that. 2013, it ended up being Jalen Saunders. I mean, I mean it was... 2012, Justin Brown got a lot of got a lot of runs. So did Jalen Saunders, and so I mean, it's it's Kenny Stills also. It's weird how it shakes out. It's it's never it's ne- it never really goes to plan in the wide receiver room. Okay, so let me re- rephrase this conversation around because I was trying to get it to more uh, more directed. That's just spring practice because like yeah, you're going over like okay, get to the season. This is what happened. I'm thinking in terms of like hey, we're in spring ball right now. Let's transport back to whenever it was spring of 2021 spring of 2019 2012 whatever like how are we feeling about you know the guys we have on campus and so so, so like, that, that's what's interesting so like look at 2018 for purposes for me to make to, to i can have this conversation because 
you go back to 2015, 2012, 20, I'm not going to be able to have this conversation because I just, I can't remember it. Well, I mean, that's, that's how I have to answer the question. I mean, this is, this is, I'm, does it, it definitely doesn't compare to when CD and Hollywood were on campus. Definitely not. I would say this is. See, but here's the thing though, like depth wise, like I'm looking at 2018, like going into 2018, spring of 2018, obviously CD and Hollywood were there. Boom. Like that's a great, here's who else they had in the receiver room come like that spring that. You know, maybe like I don't either it was there, but like we weren't like Charleston Rambo was there, but like okay, like he didn't really do anything until later that year when that big Alabama game, like before that he was so he was in the room, but we didn't know anything about him really. So we um Nick Basquin, okay, he's probably the third guy, honestly, aside from C D and Hollywood, and then Lee Morris, because he had a couple of plays in twenty seventeen. Maybe those are the main four we would have talked about back in 2018 is like oh who's like the big receivers coming back uh 80 miller i guess maybe would have been the conversation uh oh and michael jones michael jones was still there <laughs> but i mean okay so you got you got those like the two big ones are big they're huge but aside from them you're kind of like okay like i don't really know what else is here let's go to 2019 obviously cd was still around in 2019 and that was the big year of spring ball where they brought in the three five stars bridges weiss hazelwood Charleston Rambo was now was there coming back. So he had he was established. Lee Morris was still on campus. I mean, that's a Lamb, Rambo, and Morris, top three with experience, plus you throw in the three five star receivers. That's six guys where we were like, plus was okay, it, this is exciting. Wasn't right? coming back that year too? Well, sure, yeah. I'm throwing tight ends as well. Yeah. Throwing tight ends too. So, I mean, 2019, that's pretty exciting, right? Uh, 2020, there was no spring ball because uh, it got canceled because of COVID. So, but like, if, if there was, uh, I don't know if Mims was an early enrollee that year, but he Mims might have been there in 2020. Who knows? But, I mean, you had Bridges coming back. You had Weiss and Hazelwood, the three five-stars. Like, are you trying to make the point Drake that... Stoops. trying to make the point that there's enough guys in that room that you can kind of talk yourself into them being pretty good? Is that, is that your point? Yeah, I mean, like, there's because yeah, like, like, like we with tr- I mean, with, tr- with Trevon yeah. West and Brian Darby being the fifth and sixth guys, like that's 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 pretty good. Is that what you're saying? Yes, so, I agree with that. I think because, they're okay, I, like, I I think their their wide receiver room has has the potential this upcoming season to to really distance themselves from a disappointing 2021. And I, I think the guys are there to do it. We'll see. I, you know, I think there's like I, the way I was going to answer your question. I think this going into this year, it's most because you're just talking about the room in general. I'm talking about like guys that are coming back. This feels a lot like going into the 2015 season when you had Sterling Shepard and Duran Neal coming back, and I, that's kind of like Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss, basically. Um, but I think you know, I mean, I, I I think I don't think I don't think Mims or Weiss are as good as Sterling Shepard. I think both of those guys are better than Duran Neal, though. Okay. Okay. So uh, the last thing I have here, and I think I know the answer is going to be, but just for fun, I, it, this this could be another uh, a red meat moment of the podcast. Like, do, as we wind down here, do we do we want to poke more fun at Lincoln Riley and USC, or or do we have to be careful because I I'm a critic of people that you know, like when they they talk about somebody that they claimed to not be interested in or not care about when they do it so much that it tells me that no they actually like that person they they actually do enjoy it and so I don't want to fall into the trap of like 
making fun and, and talking about Riley and USC too much to where it gets to the point where like, oh, what's going on? Like, can't you guys just like you don't care about it, right? Like, move on. Uh, but at the same time, though, I guess this might be kind of apples to oranges because it's super interesting because we're going to be able to see two different programs and how they they go on from here. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense. I can acknowledge that. Do you know what I'm trying to no, say? I know exactly what you're or saying. I, I think there's a, you know, okay. we, you have to... You have to listen to your audience. I mean, if, if, if our audience doesn't want us to talk about it, then we're not going to talk about it. Um, having that been said, like, you're like, do I care? Yeah, I care. Of course I do. I wouldn't talk about it if I didn't care. I'm, I'm very like, yeah, I, I'm very invested too. in what USC is going to do this year because I think it's fascinating. And yeah, I, I, I like I, I am a lover scorned. Screw that guy. And yes, I want him to fail. And so, yeah, and I'm going to pay attention to it. Okay, so in that case, I think it's important what you said there about our, our listeners. So we have great listeners. They provide feedback you know, a lot of the time. So let, let's do it. So I have a few more Lincoln Riley slash USC stories that caught my eye today that I figured I'll just I'll bounce them off of you, see what you think. It might be interesting to our listeners. And, uh, you know, if, if for some reason our listeners are, you know, they listen to this thing, ah, we don't want to hear this stuff anymore. Don't do as much Riley stuff. You know, may, maybe we won't. Uh, maybe we'll just wait till the season gets here, and that's kind of when we'll do it. But uh, well, this is kind of interesting. So it's a mixture of like things Riley have done. Hold on a second, Grant. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta silence my, I gotta silence my phone. This is annoying. This is great podcasting. I, I have All no right. idea what's going on. on right now. You know, sometimes you get in a, a group text, and like it just. You, Texts kept firing off, firing off, and it's just I had to I, I had to mute it. I had to mute it because it was really distracting me. Okay, so story number one. The headline from uh, Trojans Wire: Let's be clear about one thing entering 2022 season for Lincoln Riley and USC. And I'm not going to read this entire story, but uh, hold on a second. What am I? What am I getting at? Oh, here we go. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Can you, can you tell I didn't really uh, proofread this beforehand? So it's USC fans and, and your reporters debating on kind of like what is considered a good season for USC in 2022. Uh, John Canzano of Portland's AM Sports Radio Station 750 The Game asked Trojans Wire what success looks like this year for USC. And this is Trojan Wire's answer to uh, Ola John Canzano from Portland Radio. Trojan Wire says that we offered a very clear answer. At least 10 wins, period. Either USC goes 10-2 and two in the regular season or 10-3 and three in a season which includes a Pac-12 championship game appearance. As we told the Portland radio station, quote, we don't do single digits now that Lincoln Riley is at USC. End quote. So this is story number one. This is uh, Trojan's Straight Wire. into my veins. Yes. <laughs> yes. So at this point, we bring up USC's schedule and figure out how they're going to go 10 and, Listen, hey, 10 and 2? Or? Like, for, like you know, history and tradition of USC, it's reasonable to say, yeah, like we here we expect double-digit win seasons. That's what we do. But that's not living in reality here. This is still the same reality where USC just went four and eight. They're graduating all of their best players that were on the roster, 
And Bruce Feldman, who is as connected as anybody in, in the world of college football, said at the end of the season that is the worst shape USC's roster has been in since the 1990s. Yeah, I, I mean, it depends on how much impact a lot, you know, the transfer guys can have you know, for Riley. And he's going to keep bringing players in. You, you know, after spring ball, they're going to keep bringing guys in until he fills out you know, as good as his roster can be or what he thinks. Um, uh, checking out their schedule, though, and I know we've done this kind of, like, I think, when it came out, but just to refresh, remember, this is the Pac-12. So, like, it's possible. It's not a very good conference. I mean, if Caleb Williams is, is great and they just score a bunch of points and they outscore people, it's possible, uh, but I don't think it's a 10-win season seems – you know, here's the thing. Uh, I wonder if they're going <laughs> to redo their, their, their thoughts whenever the uh, college football win totals start coming out in the summertime. Like what, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Vegas thinks about USC's but win they're total. They're eight and a half is my uh, guess. I was thinking eight and a half too. That's like – I think that might have been where Texas was last year and Sark's first year. I think they might have opened at eight and a half, something like that. Maybe I don't. I can't remember. Because like I mean, let's, uh, let's be real. It. You go oh, if I mean, you go four and eight, and then you go eight and four the next season. That's a that's a very impressive turnaround. If you go four and eight yeah, at USC, great. that means your team sucks. I mean, you don't got any good players. <laughs> so just here's their schedule. Uh, they open up with Rice at home. Okay, you, you expect them to beat Rice in the first game. Then they go to they go to Stanford, and uh, you know Stanford's been down of late. Uh, I mean they're. They're not very good anymore. So, I mean, you should beat Stanford, even though it's on the road. Uh, Fresno State at home. They got, that's a good program. I, Fresno State's got a good team. I, who knows? Uh, at Oregon State, that team is getting better and better. I can't remember their coach's name, but he's a pretty good coach. Uh, in Corvallis. Okay, like, that's a losable game. At Oregon State, I don't know. Uh, home against Arizona State. Don't know what the Sun Devils will be next year. They could be they could be okay. Uh, home Washington State at Utah, which I mean, they're gonna be underdogs going into the Utah game. They'll be underdogs of that game, you'd expect, unless Utah's a disaster, but I don't know why they would be. Uh, bye week, then they end the year with five games at Arizona, home against Cal, home against Colorado, at UCLA, and then home against Notre Dame. And uh, yeah, I mean that's that's going to be a pretty tough nine and three ten and two type season i think uh given given what they had but you know what just off the top Fun of my head there those games right? what I think, be wrong you know they're going to be underdogs on the road against utah they're going to be underdogs against ucla and notre dame too uh on paper yeah what does UCLA what does ucla have in coming like, back I, everybody i think I wonder what dtr is coming back i know that oh wow he's been there it seems like he's been there for 10 years yeah, it's, his, it's, it's his sixth year he's 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 taking advantage of all the okay. all the covid chicanery all right so trojans wire is, is pretty pretty bullish pretty pretty excited uh again their quote was something like and i'm paraphrasing we don't do single digits anymore with lincoln riley okay so that's story number one gosh why would you uh, red meat usc lincoln why would you yeah. set yourself up like that? I, I you know what i understand why i, I get it they're excited whatever that's that's fine all right, here's the next story. Headline, also from Trojan's Wire. Lincoln Riley offers an instructive lesson about accountability within a program. Accountability is something USC didn't have under Clay Helton. Everyone knows that. 
Lincoln Riley is trying to create a new culture of accountability at USC, which invites a conversation about this subject. I'm not going to read you the entire uh, story, but uh, there's a, a tweet in here uh, quoting Lincoln Riley uh, from a guy named Shotgun Spratling. <laughs> I don't know who that is. But he says that Lincoln Riley said, and uh, well, sidebar, apparently USC, they're, they're doing Zoom. So Lincoln Riley's still doing Zoom calls. So they're, they're not going to, it looks like they're not doing uh, in-person interviews. Because it says here that Lincoln Riley said, this is from April 2nd. Lincoln Riley said that we'd be on this Zoom call for the entire weekend if he listed all the steps he's implemented to instill accountability. That's so Lincoln Riley. Uh, I mean, so again, that's where, I, I know like that's where right. I mean, if you're if you're a beat writer at USC, right, that's where you got to do a little digging. You got to start asking around people and ask, hey, what, what was that like when he was at OU? And you do a little digging, you talk to some people, they're going to start telling you that was a problem at OU. Accountability was a problem. That was one of the things that like that started to come out right after he left. Like, uh, yeah, it's been sort of trending down for a while now. Yeah. So this is another example of Riley, you know, saying things to the media that sound good, but the actual program, you know, is, is really going to be that way. And, you know, people can change. You know, maybe he's learned some things. Maybe it'll be different. You're right. I, you, you, you do have to qualify it like that. You, I mean, maybe, maybe. Yeah, may, maybe whatever, like. What, uh, what what what's the term that Venables uses a lot? Uh, alignment with the maybe maybe the alignment at USC is is much more with what Riley wants to do and and whatnot. But you know, I I, I think I think there's plenty of evidence out there that that Riley that Riley was successful at OU because it's OU, and it didn't. It, and and of course, you know, it's. Like Lincoln Riley, of course, like had a huge hand in the success of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and that, and like, that shouldn't be discounted. That's foolish to discount that. Um, but I, I don't know, man. It's it's it, it it had been trending down since since that Kansas State game in Manhattan in 2019. Uh, that that's where it like kind of felt like it started to. It just it has not been the same since then. The very first half of 2019, we had the longest extended run of dominance in Riley's tenure, where they won the first seven games. Uh, six of them by blowout, and at, at that time I was thinking they they turned the corner. They've they did it like some, they've done something this year. They turned the corner, and they go and they get their they they just get smacked in the mouth by Chris Kleiman and, and Manhattan at Kansas State. It has not been the same since then. It just hasn't. Because remember the the rest of that season they were hanging on for dear life in every single game. Mm-hmm. Man, we were talking before that K State game, like legitimate. Not even a playoff contender, but like, could this team win a national championship this year? I mean, everything's kind of coming together. I mean, like at that time, uh, yeah, that was the uh, at that time uh, they like if the season would have ended going into that like that game at K State, I think they would have broken the record for yards per play in a single season. They were averaging over like ten yards per play going into that game. Yeah, it was. And the, I mean, the defense was good enough. I mean, it was fine. You know, it was it was improving. It was the first year under Grinch. Uh, and actually, the my last story. It's a great transition into the last red meat USC store that I have. And it, it's about kind of the, the decline, the change. And again, from Trojan's Wire, the headline is a technically correct but weird talking point about Lincoln Riley from his Oklahoma days. And I'm going to read you most of this story. It's not a very long story. Uh, I'll skip the first part and get to the, the main portion that matters. Uh, that talking point is Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma teams got worse each year. 
Yes, it is true, but how much does it really mean? Riley's 2017 Oklahoma team very nearly made the national title game, barely losing to Georgia in double overtime. The 2018 Oklahoma team was handled easily by Alabama in a playoff semifinal. The 2019 team was handled even more easily by LSU in a playoff semifinal. The 2020 team didn't make the playoff. The 2021 team didn't win the Big 12 championship. Results were worse each successive year, but to a very slight degree. The main reason why this talking point, technically and narrowly true though it is, remains limited and insubstantial is that OU never lost more than two games in any of these five seasons. It's not as though Oklahoma lost three or four games in any of these years. OU maintained a very high floor for five straight seasons. The thing the Sooners couldn't do was raise their ceiling. But that's less about regression and more about failing to take the next step. Let's put it this way. If USC never loses more than two games in each of the next five years, Trojan fans will take it, provided that at least one of the five years has fewer than two losses and a playoff berth attached. End of story. So interesting USC you know, fan site acknowledging you know, the, the narrative that's true about Lincoln Riley's teams you know, getting worse every single year. But obviously, they're excited about Lincoln Rally, so they got to kind of try to spin it to like, well, I don't know if it matters that much. Uh, but to be fair to this guy that wrote this, yeah, I mean, if your standard is, you know, eh, USC not losing more than two games in the next five years and you're just, you're cool with that, all right, fine. Like, that's the equivalent of not taking that next step. Granted, winning, you know, winning double digit games in year one, that's going to be difficult, we think. Uh, but, uh, you know, I guess if, if your standard is, 10 win seasons and that's really kind of it maybe making a playoff then sure yeah like Lincoln Riley definitely can do that and he did that at Oklahoma what we were annoyed about is that they didn't take the next step and there was plenty of opportunities to do that especially given how excited we are about him as a coach or were about him as a coach why couldn't he take they that took, next they, step? they couldn't take the next step and the perception was that each successive year the roster got more talented and they still regressed. That's why it's a that's why it's a red flag. Although I think to be fair, because if you really want to dig in deep to it, you know, I mean, last six or seven games of 2020, they they were very obviously playing better than they were in 2019. Um, playing better than you know, so like there there is kind of a like there was that downward trajectory last half of 2019 going into the first three games of. Uh, you can even say the first four games of 2021 because they were still kind of iffy against against Texas, um, and uh, and then it wasn't until you know it wasn't until you know middle of October is when they really started to hit their stride and and it was like 20, 2020, 2020 sorry yeah thank you twenty twenty yeah twenty twenty um but yeah there was a reason why everyone was super excited going into this past season into twenty twenty one it was because. It's because you know they. It seemed like they had turned a corner at some point in time, especially defensively. You know that that was the big the big thing is that they turned a corner defensively. So, oh my gosh, yep. what a what a sad state of affairs. I'm glad it's over. I'm I'm glad that ten years over. I, I'm I'm feeling a lot feeling a lot better with the with, with the new guy. Yeah. So am I. Funny how uh, some time goes by and. Uh, you know, I was always super positive. That's what I am. I'm a Mr. Positive guy. And you know what? I feel pretty good that I was super positive. I mean, granted, it could go south. I'm not going to sit here and, 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 you know, 
call a victory parade or anything because uh, nothing's happened yet uh, on the field. But again, everything that they've done, I mean, a, a big reason why, and this has been said a million times, like the hiring of Brent Venables, I loved it. It was great. I think it was the right guy. Uh, given all the other information we had, we talked about it a million times, you know, different times on the podcast. And then the subsequent hire, oh, I, actually, this is the last part. I'll bring it up because you brought this up to me after last show. In my opening take last week, I said that there's been you know no decisions made by Brent Venables where I scratched my head or questioned him. And you pointed out to me correctly that, oh, what about the Ted Roof hire? You're right. That was a moment where all of us were kind of like, Ted Roof? Who's that guy? Like, So, yes, that was a decision where I, at the time, I thought, that's bizarre and weird. But ever since then, the subsequent hires and decisions made since then, that hire has made a lot more sense now. I get it. So, yes, at the time, it was puzzling. But I believe the actions of Brent Venables since then, bringing in Todd Bates, Jay Vali, uh, the way he's handling the defense. It all kind of makes sense why uh, he, he brought a guy in like Ted Roof. So it's not as puzzling now. So I think, uh, uh, yeah, you pointed that out. And so I wanted to acknowledge that. I'm glad I remember to do that. Yeah. So one of my, one of the things I keep going back to that, I mean, that really gives me a lot of confidence. I mean, not necessarily just going into 2022, but for the future as well, is that there's just too many guys on this coaching staff that have had too much high level success for them not to there, there's just so much success in that in that coach's room talking about Brent Venables he's won multiple national championships with two different programs under two different head coaches doing it pretty different ways um Jeff Lebby has has coordinated really successful offenses at UCF and Ole Miss going into this um the rest the remaining Big 12 staff know everything about them Cale Gundy and Bill Biedenboe they've been staff members on the best offense in college football numerous times multiple times um and then you just i mean todd bates has been with todd bates and miguel chavis have been with brent venables they've seen it work they've they todd bates has a ring on his finger man um and and you just go up and down the list there's just there's a lot of success there and um that wasn't the case with with the last coaching staff really especially on the defensive side a lot of those guys were kind of getting their first shot alex grinch wasn't but he was at that level um and so I know that that breeds a lot of confidence as far as I'm concerned. And um, if there's anything like if you can, if you can point to anything in college football and say, yeah, that's a pretty good marker of success or yeah, if, if you put that together, there's a, you know, you're giving yourself probably the best chance to win. It's, it's coaching staffs, man. Like <laughs> Alabama's coaching staff is awesome. Georgia's coaching staff is awesome. There's no one who has ever won at an extremely high level or won national championships in the last handful of years that doesn't have an amazing coaching staff, except maybe Ed Orgeron at LSU, but that's what LSU does. <laughs> but who is his coordinators, man? He had two fantastic had, coordinators. Uh, fantastic coordinators. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I thought about this actually uh, the other day. I thought about this. This could be a good topic for our next Ted, podcast. Ted Roof was the DC. Ted Roof's got a ring at Auburn. Doesn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a ring. Yeah, good point. It's like one of the when we were going through his career. That's like one of the few like you know thumbs up parts of his very bizarre long that's, career. I, and God, his his defense like that. Or, remember that Oregon offense was like was really good. I mean that that Oregon offense was was better than Auburn's offense with Cam Newton and everything. And they they didn't do anything against Ted Roof's defense in that national championship, baby. Nope, they couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I had the under in that game. I had the under, and I felt super smart because it 
it hit by a long shot. Um, all right, so how about this for a topic? If we're struggling for uh, you know content for next week, because as far as I know, we should be able to do it next week. I don't know why we wouldn't. Uh, I was talking to a coworker, comparing uh, you know how do I put this out? Like, okay, we were all excited about Alex Grinch, obviously, uh, young up and coming defensive coordinator. Comparing his background before he got to Oklahoma. Compared to, uh, like, right now, like, on the offensive side, Jeff Levy's kind of like the new age Alex Grinch, right? And Oklahoma, like, we're all excited about the young up-and-coming offensive coordinator. It might be interesting for us to kind of compare and contrast their backgrounds before they got to OU and who technically had, a, a, you know, a, a better resume before getting to campus. It's going to certainly be Jeff Levy. Talking, like, numbers and everything. Levy has been, has been associated uh, with... everything. I mean, with some really high-powered offenses, Grinch was more yeah. was more impressive because he because he turned around a Washington State defense that had been just like historically atrocious. That's why, and he was married with Leach and the air raid and everything. That's kind of where like the narrative around Alex Grinch came from. Lebby is like I mean, this is all right. Well, it's it's Lebby. I mean, Le- Lebby was was involved in in a lot of those Art Briles Baylor offenses, and those offenses were free were really good, really difficult to defend. Um, all right. Well, that'll, that'll conclude our debate then. Yeah. I think you've kind of wrapped it up. <laughs> I think that's about it. Uh, uh, Jeff Levy wins. Yeah. That's a good, uh, maybe this isn't as interesting as Jeff Levy has been, has, has been part yeah. of numerous top 10 offenses in college football. Yeah. No, okay. Well, never mind. Uh, forget that ever happened. And uh, I'm glad that we got that out of the way. Know, I mean, we can do like a, we can do like a thought exercise, like try our best to poke holes in Jeff Levy. Yeah, that could we be do a that idea. Like, well, for instance, we'll, we'll I don't. Figure it out. We'll figure it out. For instance, I, I don't. I don't love all of the stuff I'm hearing about tempo, for the most part. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I don't love going. Like, I like tempo, but I like it selectively. I don't. I don't really like it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so maybe that's going to be for the next show or sometime whenever we need content. Uh, that will do it for today. Uh, Again, as far as I can tell, we should be back next week with uh, more spring football chatter. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.